welcome to Warren Yara's Yuranuri. I'm recording from the Gadigal land in the heart of Sydney, Australia. Warren Yara is a Gadigal name meaning to seek, which sums up the mission of our health professions education research network here at the University of Sydney. And Yuranuri means many voices, which our podcast represents. So I'd like to pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging of all the lands on which we're present and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening. And with me here today is Ryan Naylor to talk about his paper published in Higher Education in January 2021, entitled Academic Expectations Among University Students and Staff, Addressing the Role of Psychological Contracts and Social Norms, um, that he published with his colleagues Fiona Bird and Nicole Butler at La Trobe University in Melbourne. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Um, Ryan, I just wonder if you want to tell us a little bit more about your background um, and the rationale that led to the research publication. I am the Associate Professor of Education at the University of Sydney. Uh, so I've come here relatively recently from La Trobe University, where I was uh, the core first year coordinator. Uh, so I have a, a long interest and background in student experience and uh, particularly around students' barriers to success. And I've been working in higher education research for just about seven or eight years, I think. So this, uh, the champion for this study really was my colleague, Fiona. Uh-huh. So at the time, she was um, an, an education leader within her school. Uh, so here we would probably call it Associate Dean Education. Um, there are equivalent roles in other universities. Uh, and one of the things that was very obvious in her uh, experience in the School of Life Sciences was that there was a, a problem with staff morale amongst teaching staff. Uh, And, of course, there's also the ongoing concerns that universities have around supporting student satisfaction. The original idea was that um, to address both of these problems by uh, asking students what their expectations were for university study and the university staff, uh, asking staff what their expectations were for students and their behaviour, and then identify the gaps so, so that you we were you were examining academic expectations between university students and staff mm-hmm. and um, and i guess one might expect them to be to be different and 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 you know rightly so coming from different perspectives how did you do that what kind of how did you design your study what kind of research methods did you use to examine that well to to give away some of the um the build-up early, we actually found and were very surprised by the fact that they were much more similar than we expected. Um, And that led on to the much more interesting question of if expectations are actually reasonably well aligned, why are we seeing these uh, emotional differences between the two groups? Um, Or why is it having such a big impact on people's sense of uh, satisfaction and morale? So it wasn't really about are they different? It's what what makes them different. It was the yeah, question. Or, you know, where is asking. where is all of this emotional energy coming from? If students and staff actually kind of agree on most things, um, and I think that that was for me at least a much more interesting question than just do they align and what can we do next? Right. Uh, so the instrument 
in general is uh, a mixture of short answer questions and more standard quantitative Likert style. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with this? So asking questions around um, perceptions of the student staff role, uh, how long should it take for people to reply to emails, how long should it take for people to respond to feedback or provide feedback, uh, all of those sorts of quite... Uh, mundane, maybe nitty-gritty details, but still that were quite um, important to understand so about expectations. Are, this was from a questionnaire study. Yes, yes. And, and how did you come up with those questions? Was it is it a questionnaire study that's, you know, a questionnaire tool that's been used before? No, this is um, established by us. Mm -hmm. uh, essentially, we... It, so the, the study was a mixed-method study. Oh, so okay. alongside the questionnaire, we were also doing focus groups. Mm -hmm. Um so it started out with an initial kind of uh, scoping or planning meeting to work out what should be on the instrument. Uh, then we had a stage of a collegial peer review um, to work out whether other colleagues thought there were important areas and questions that we were uh, not asking or should be asking about. And then, of course, as we were doing the focus groups, then the the more thematic stuff that we just uh, established from the focus groups, also fed backwards and forwards with the instrument development. So it's a lot of, um, uh, I, I think the kids these days call it ideation um, <laughs> and review and uh, that kind of reflexive work to make sure that the instrument was covering everything we needed it to so cover. The qualitative approach that you took it informed your quantitative, the questions that you then quantified. Exactly, yeah. Do you want to tell me a little bit more about the approach that you took? Now, um, it's important to point out at this point that I'm not a sociologist, I'm not a methodologist, and I'm not really an ontologist. Um, but we, we took an, an inductive realist approach. So obviously the inductive nature of it um, sprang from the, the nature of the research that we were doing and our, our approach to it. Um, the realist nature, uh, as opposed to being a constructionist or anything else, I suppose, um, I think primarily came from the fact that uh, I'm a biochemist. Fiona and Nicole are both um, uh, ecologists, life scientists. Mm -hmm. So I think it was just a matter of uh, being being comfortable with the, uh, the the broad framework that we were working in and... As scientists, we were comfortable with the idea of social objects having social reality. I think that's fascinating because obviously, you know, we, we, none of us are um, epistemologists or ontologists, <laughs> <laughs> but but we have our own personal beliefs mm. around the the nature of of reality, and um, and that can help us decide on how we're going to approach our our research and. Uh, and equally valid um, approaches. Mm. And I think as long as you're upfront about it um, and aware of what the the limitations, mm -hmm. you know, that, that that there actually are other ways of looking mm -hmm. at the world, then um, then I don't see that that's a, a problem. You know, it's absolutely. And did you draw on any particular theoretical perspective um, in terms of like? you know, um, the fra theoretical framework that you were using? Sure. So the main 
um, we, we, my contribution, of which I'm actually, I, I'm still quite proud about for this paper, <laughs> is uh, that we, I took expectancy value theory, which is a psychological theory, mm-hmm. and melded it with the idea of psychological contracts, which is a concept from organisational psychology. Okay, so you need to tell us a little bit about both of those I and how they meld will. together. So there's lots of work done in the literature on student satisfaction. There's very little work that's actually done about expectations, except through uh, lenses like uh, cultural capital. Um, And a lot of work, to be fair, that talks about being based on things like cultural capital or academic literacies, where they're probably actually misusing some of that theoretical work uh, in the background. So what we wanted was something that would link student satisfaction or staff morale with expectations. And expectancy value theory seemed to be able to do that. So basically it says that you have expectations about how your behaviour will lead to certain outcomes. Uh, Those expectations are fed by experience, but they may not be rational, they may not be appropriate, and they are value-laden. So because they're value-laden, they become hard to shift. Mm -hmm. And that value uh, is how it aligns with your subjective interests, your alignment with goals and your self-concept. So if something is um, something you find really interesting, something that aligns with your professional career goals, for example, and something that um, aligns with your self-concept as someone who's academically literate and a, a good scholar, then you will have a lot of emotional value attached to that. Um, and so strong expectations around that. Using these two frameworks, you you analysed your your data. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want you to give it all away because <laughs> I, I think people should go and have a read of the paper because it's, it's fascinating. But tell me about, was there anything that you found that, that was more was most surprising? Well, as I said before, we were we were surprised by how closely aligned the expectations were. The second thing... Um, and particularly this is when we started to get right down into the nitty-gritty of the responses, um, particularly from the focus groups and the short answer questions rather than the, the quantitative stuff, um, was the amount of, of passion that the teaching staff had for the, the sense of violation they had around breaches of the, the psychological contract. Right. So, as I was saying before, with the expectancy value theory, one would assume from the example that I gave that students have a very strong value-laden expectancy around around their university study. Mm. So that would mean that if you you violate the expected um, contract, you you don't follow through on their expectations, then they would have a very strong emotional response to that. What we found, though, is that actually staff had a much, much stronger um, emotional response, at least in the cohort that we looked at. Wow. So the students, even the students who were dissatisfied, were kind of um, even-handed about their expectations. You know, they acknowledged that they were uh, operating in an imperfect system, whereas for the staff, for example, and we got down to the level of counting the number of shoulds and oughts and that sort of thing. So this is actually in the qualitative data? That yes. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so if you look down to, the, to that micro level of word usage, the staff were much more prescriptive about how students should behave, what they should think, mm-hmm. and how what they should value. Um, and that is where their low staff morale, that was where their sense of, um, I suppose, distress was coming from. Because our expectation, expectations were not being met? Is that So students were not meeting... Well, actually, hang on. So I'm about to uh, <laughs> do something that I probably shouldn't. A small group of students were not meeting the expectations of staff members, and that's a range of things like badgering them for feedback when or email responses or not turning up to class. Class attendance was a really big issue for the staff. Not identifying as students so that university was something that they did, not something that they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and so expectancy value theory doesn't really explain that well. So to explain that finding, we had to bring in more work around um, social norms and what's called outgroup homogeneity. So university staff appeared to have strong social norms about how students should behave. And when students didn't obey those norms in the same way that, you know, if people disobey social norms in any other context, they had a strong sense of a violation from that. So it's not so much around the the value that staff saw in being teachers, although the staff did very strongly identify the pride that they took in their work as educators. So there is some expectancy value in that. Um, it seemed to be much stronger about the violation of social norms, and outgroup homogeneity is when you take a uh, when you recognise the diversity in your own group, but minimise the diversity you see in another group. Mm-hmm. So all students get tarred with the same brush because some students acted up. They start to talk about all students behaving this way, and so and to be fair, you know, in your university career as a student, you might see forty different staff members. Whereas a, a teacher will see 500 a year, every year for their working lives. So there's much more opportunity for students to violate social norms than there is the other way around. And so that's where that kind of emotional intensity comes from. I think that's really fascinating. And, and I mean, I'm guessing some of the implications of this is really around staff development. Mm, um, yeah. So, so w- what do you think in terms of that? What's your... So the takeaway from what the students told us is that they want personal relationships as much as possible with their teaching staff. And I don't mean just lecturers here. I mean, you know, classroom tutors and everything. And they very strongly linked linked that sense of personal relationship with teaching quality. Mm -hmm. So quality education for students is having a personal relationship with their teachers. Um, So it's important that we understand that. That's what they want. And so for staff, I think... Uh, students may have unrealistic expectations about that, but where possible, it's important to meet them halfway. Um, and that means that the, the takeaway from this study for u- universities and university leadership is, A, workload models need to recognise that this 